Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin and I'm on the phone with Brian and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2022 film Megan, directed by Gerard Johnstone and starring Allison Williams, Violet McGraw, and Jenna Davis. In this film, an AI toy doll becomes self-aware and goes on a killing spree. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion at the top of the show. We'll take a quick break, you'll hear some music, and then we will come back in, go over the plot, the spoilers, and into our review. Brian, uh, I want to start out here by mentioning that you're on the record uh, for our wrap-up episode in 2022 as being pretty excited about this film, thinking that it would be a really good film uh, despite some of the lesser opinions based on the previews. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I essentially said it would be the next smile, a preview that people that like hardened horror fans roll their eyes at, but then a movie that we all ended up liking anyway. So we'll see in the review section whether that came to fruition or not. And what like led you to believe that? Was it just a random guess or was it the names behind it? I think it was a bit of a random guess, and I th- I want to say somewhere I saw some early positive buzz about it, but I can't remember where. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, it had like a lot of early screenings or anything, but uh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's a 2022. It's one of those weird movies that no one, the public couldn't see until 2023, but will always have the year 2022 associated with because mm. it screened at a festival. So It did. Okay, got it. Yeah, and uh, when, you, when you look at who's behind this, I think that... Uh, helps kind of build up some of the hype around it. You've got like James Wan on the producing chair as well as Jason Blum. It's a lot of familiar names there. The The writing is by Akela Cooper, who wrote Malignant, which, uh, did you like that one? Um, yeah, I did like Malignant. I, it was a difficult movie to rate. I ended up on a positive side in, as far as the review goes. But yeah, yeah, yeah she co-wrote Malignant um, with I think with James Wan, right? And he's a co-writer here again. Yeah, she also it, co-wrote the. Uh, I think it's a she co-wrote the 2018 horror film Hellfest, 20 mm-hmm. episodes of the TV series Grimm as well, and two episodes oh, okay. of American Horror Story. So no newbie to horror as far as writing goes. Sure, and she's partnering up with Wan again later this year on The Nun too. Oh, is she? Okay, I didn't see that. Another movie I'm weirdly excited for. (laughs) I know, I know. I feel like you got two James Wan movies you're suddenly excited about. Right. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm excited to hear if you think this one lived up to what you thought it would be. Um, The director, yeah, you know, the director's name, uh, I didn't recognize it, but he did uh, Housebound, so that got me pretty excited. Did did you know it was that dude? I did not know that it was that dude, but it it is. And and for anybody who doesn't know what Housebound is, it's a 2014 horror comedy out of New Zealand. And you and I both really liked that movie, right? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was was like a, what was the premise? Was it zombies? Um, No, it was... Boy, I don't want to say too much, uh, lest it give the movie away. Um, But it's on Shudder and Tubi right now, so you guys should go check out Housebound. It's a great movie. Damn, I think I got to rewatch it. But yeah, Yeah, I remember it being pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny, and it's just a good movie. Sure. Uh, Yeah, it's really cool to see him. So he's probably a New Zealander, right? He is a New Zealander, correct, yeah. Okay. Um, And as you said, James Wan... 
both James Wan and Jason Bloom behind this. Did you know that they are in talks to merge the studios? No. Uh, what What is James Wan's studio called? Atomic Monster Productions. Oh, right. And then Blumhouse or Blumhouse. And Blumhouse. They're and they co-produced Megan in there in talks to to merge their studios. Wow, that would be which a would be a pretty huge... big deal. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, probably like what? Like ninety percent of their films are more horror films, right? From those studios. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that either of them does much that is not horror. Right, right. Damn, that'd be like a super, yeah, crazy merger. Right. Let's talk about the marketing of this for a a minute here, because I think they did some really interesting viral stuff. Did you catch the dance that went viral here on TikTok? No, I, of course, had no idea that that was even a thing that was taking the internet by storm, but apparently it was. Yeah, yeah, and that really worked. I feel like they knew what they were doing when they figured out like how to market this, like hit TikTok really hard. Um, they paired it with like some Taylor Swift song at some point. Um, they are a bunch of memes uh, with Megan. Universal seems to know what they're doing here with the, the yeah. marketing campaign. I think some of the people on the creative team for the movie were kind of like, oh, are we really going to include the dance in the trailer? But Universal mm-hmm. made that decision and it... it seem to work out as a good one. I also think Megan may have gotten into a social media battle with Chucky, perhaps on Twitter, read something oh, about that. Of so course. Yeah. That, you know, got some some press for the film. So it's a very smart marketing strategy. Really smart and like really with the times and tells you like kind of what works today in terms of getting uh, people's attention to TikTok dances, uh, memes, songs, Discord servers, battles on Twitter. Like that, that is all everything that makes the headlines these days. So Good on there, uh, PR team, I guess. Right, and the Hollywood Reporter did an article. I can't remember the exact title, but it was essentially like Megan, a horror movie for the TikTok generation. Mm. And I think there's maybe some online hemming and hawing going on, and this is a PG-13 movie, and some people being like, "Oh, I'm just not even excited for this movie," and others people, other people being like, "Hey, like, there's got to be a gateway horror. There's got to be horror that's tailored to the next generation." Sure. So it's a bit of a back and forth, and I know we've talked about similar stuff on the podcast before and had the PG-13 debate, but... Yeah, I think going into this, that, that was uh, something that was concerning to me, the PG-13 thing. The other thing is uh, you have a plot that um, doesn't feel very original, because, yeah, the whole Chucky franchise, any movie about AI like it generally goes, you know where it's going. Um, and then, oh, there's a third point... No, maybe that might have been it. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't too excited going into this. And uh, I, I don't know, like, how do you overcome that? Or how do you reinvent a story like this that, like, we've seen so many movies that are about, like, something that's AI, you know, becoming self-aware and then taking things over. Right. And I mean, just to uh, give a shout out to the Chucky fans that are screaming at you, you shouldn't mention the whole Chucky franchise when it comes to AI. It's only sure. Child's the Play last 2019. One. We really sure. need to cover some more from that series because that's a, yeah. a hole for us. But yeah, I mean, AI gone wrong, it's not as prevalent in horror as you would think it might be. Some of the biggest AI gone wrong movies are not horror movies. They're like action-adventure type stuff, like iRobot. Sci-fi movies, yeah. Yeah. iRobot was Ex Machina. Yeah. Oh, what what about like like the OGs, like like Terminator 1 and 2? Like they spelled this out for you, that like machines getting get smart and start killing people. 
Sure, um, like 2001 Space Odyssey. Even. 2001 Space Odyssey, yeah, right. Uh, I think it's predictable for sure. And I don't think this movie, not unlike Smile, it never said it was going to be unpredictable. That's not what it's trading in, you know? it. Yeah. It is what it is. It knows what it is, and it goes from there. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fair. It's it not took, it to... took enough unique angles to make itself stand out, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just it seems like a crowded field to play in, and we, we I feel like we've seen this plot play out, so I'm sure a lot of people go into this movie seeing the rating, seeing the plot line, and, and wondering what the big deal about this is. I think but, the field isn't as crowded as you think, though. I think it might be more crowded than we think. The, in terms of straight-up horror movies... It's not that. I mean, Terminator, a movie I would like to cover on the show one time because I think that's debatable whether it's horror or not. Yeah. Uh, and Confession, uh, as I confessed recently on the Discord server, I've never seen that movie all the way through. Which one? Part one or two? Part one. Oh, okay. Yeah, one definitely feels more horror. But yeah, I hear you. It's kind of like a sci-fi action thing more. Um, but Child's Play 2019 is definitely the biggest AI horror movie. There are other ones out there. I actually found one from 2016 called Morgan, which has a very similar plot <laughs> yeah. and a very similar title as well. But it's not a huge horror movie thing. There's yeah. tech horror, um, but tech horror surprisingly hasn't really explored AI as much as you would expect it to as a mm. genre. That's true. Okay. Like yeah. Possessor and Cam are two recent examples of tech horror, but neither of those really deals with AI. Well, right. I guess I take that back. Cam might. It's a little bit vague. Oh, yeah. Right. That got a little uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Blurry lines there. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I hear you on the, on the horror side, but I, I feel like in general, like we've heard this story a million times where the you got a robot it's it's configured to protect something but that turns uh it misinterprets that intent into harming others and it realizes that to save humanity you have to like destroy humanity all the marvel films have done it age of ultron right that's that's been the promise so yeah i I just like anytime someone's talking about ai and it's supposed to get uh ugly you kind of know like the reason why it's going to go that way exactly exactly so i think i want to say we're both right yes it's a crowded field in terms of horror movies specifically, maybe not mm-hmm. so much. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. All right, um, but yeah, in terms of reviews, this has got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's definitely raising some eyebrows. Um, on a budget of $12 million, it's op- already gotten $45.7 million on its first weekend, so I think it's doing fairly well uh, and better than expected. It was second at the box office behind Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. And I saw an estimate that projected it would make about $60 million at the domestic box office before it leaves the theaters. And that's about the revenue of Halloween Ends from last year, which was the fifth highest earning horror movie of last year. So mm. you could, I mean, it might be safe to say that this is pretty much guaranteed to be one of the top 10 grossing horror films of 2023. Sure. If we have yeah. a box office similar to last year. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's really impressive. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's going to pass that 60 number in like the next weekend. It may. And there's already, they're in talks for a sequel already due to Universal being pleased with the film's financial performance. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and then from a cast perspective, I think a lot of familiar names like Allison Williams we saw in Get Out. Uh, Violent McGraw, do you remember her from Dr. Sleep? 
I don't remember her from Doctor Sleep, but yeah, she was okay. in it. I think she's in in the beginning, but I yeah, I my memory of that movie is foggy. Okay, yeah, very familiar face. Um, the voice of Megan is by Jenna Davis, and oh, man, I forgot to write down the actress who plays Megan in certain scenes. Amy Do Donald. Amy Donald is a young dancer. I believe she was twelve years old. Uh, who plays the physical Megan and um, Gemma Davis does the voice. Jenna Davis, excuse me, does the voice. Right. Um, yeah, Amy Donald, so she physically portrays Megan and her image was digitally augmented with VF, VFX work. Uh, she's a dancer and she, she got bronze and silver medals at the Dance World Cup in Portugal in 2019 and I believe was the first New Zealander to do so. Wow. So she, I mean... She's an integral part of this movie. It's easy not mm-hmm. to think too much about how they did Megan, like how they pulled that off visually. But I'll go ahead and say right now, I thought it looked really good. And it was really cool. I think Amy McDonald, sorry, Amy Donald is a, a big part of that. And she yeah. has some adorable interviews on, on YouTube in case anybody wants to be charmed by a 12-year-old girl. Ah, I'll have to check that out. How, yeah, she's 12 years old. That's wild. Yeah, the, the body control that like you have to bring to this performance is like out of this world. And yeah, she, like half the time, I think what's interesting about this is like you never know. I guess like looking at Megan, whether it's like a actual like dummy or like uh, some kind of like CGI or some kind of effect going on there. But she was actually playing Megan the whole time. There are occasions where they use uh, an animatronic puppet, but... From my okay. understanding, the majority of the movie was Amy Donald. And she actually, she yeah, she talked about that, how control was very important and that a robot isn't going to stumble or lose their balance or be a little wobbly. Right. So I think she nailed it. She's really talented. Yeah, that's incredible. Cool. Um, that's all the background I had. Do you have anything else to add? I don't really have anything else except reshoots were done to secure a PG-13 rating for the film. So that was a very deliberate choice. But it sounds like Gerard Johnstone was all for it. And he thought the final product was scarier as a PG-13 movie. Uh, I have to imagine it was so close to PG-13 that as a business move, the studios figured, hey, why not? Let's just do it and we'll attract a wider audience. hmm. Um not to kick that beat a dead horse with the PG-13 debate, but yeah. any thoughts on that? Not to spoil your review already. No, you know, I, I definitely had that as a damper going in. And uh, yeah, I don't feel like it's one of those films you watch and feel like they're unnecessarily holding back or anything. So I, I kind of forgot about it while going through, which is a good thing. Sure. Um, so you're saying it was like Gorier or something and they pulled it back? Yeah, yeah, it was... It, there was footage that would have made it an R-rated movie, and they dialed it back to secure mm. the PG-13. Okay. okay. Um, but I feel obligated to always defend the PG-13 rating by listing some PG-13 horror, so I'm going to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lights Out, The Final Girls, The Ring, The Others, The Grudge, Insidious, Mama, 1408, Cloverfield, The Sixth Sense, Drag Me to Hell, and A Quiet Place 1 and 2. Drag Me to Hell? Drag me to hell. Wow. Yeah, I could see that, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. It's gross. It's a gross movie, but most of the grossness isn't from violence. Right, right, right. You would never think of that as as a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, that's surprising. I I guess it goes to to show that you don't need that R rating all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. 
Um, cool. You got an Ohio connection for us? I have an Ohio connection, yeah. Every movie we watch is connected to our home state of Ohio by our good friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. I know some of you Northeast Ohio fans have gotten out there already, but if you haven't yet, it's a great way to pass some time in the winter. Go check out Jukebox and have some great drinks and great food. And Alex says... Megan is a science fiction horror film about an artificially intelligent doll who develops self-awareness and becomes hostile to anyone who comes between her and her human companion. During post-production, actress Amy Donald's physical performance as Megan was enhanced by digital visual effects, allowing for such features as artificially oversized eyes and smooth doll-like skin. Speaking about the design, director Gerard Johnstone stated that he looked to screen icons from the 50s like Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, and Kim Novak for inspiration. Kim Novak is a retired film and television actress widely known for her performances as Madeline Elster and Judy Barton in Alfred Hitchcock's thriller Vertigo. Since retiring from acting, Novak continued her creative endeavors as a photographer, poet, and visual artist painting in watercolor watercolor, oil, and pastel. The Butler Institute of American Art hosted a retrospective of her work in 2019 and in 2021 published a book with a selection of her paintings titled Kim Novak, Her Art and Life. The Butler Institute of American Art is located in Youngstown, Ohio. Nice. That was was a stretch, man. That was good. It was a stretch, and a fun fact for him was that he had happened to gone to that museum the day he made this connection. Whoa. Wow. Talk about timing. Complete coincidence, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe we've never reviewed Psycho on the podcast. Oh, yeah, that's kind of crazy. We'll um, do it this year. Yeah, let's get to it. That's a classic we have to hit on. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Great connection. Thanks, Alex. Um, anything uh, else? Are you ready to jump into the plots and our review? Let's jump into the plot. Cool. Hey, before we do that, though, can we take a quick break? I just saw what time it is, and there's something I got to do really quick. Oh, okay, sure. All right, thanks. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, well, uh, do you want to share what you had to do? Or yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have this uh, robot uh, toy, and uh, every now and then its butt lights up, and it starts taking a shit, and uh, I, you know, I, I just gotta have to be on hand to like kind of wipe it uh, afterwards. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, these these uh, robots are getting so clever now. You just you kind of never know when they're gonna shit. Those were funny right up front. I feel like the movie kind of set its own tone a little bit, right, with that commercial yeah. being yeah. instant. <laughs> It's it with those robot pets. <laughs> Do you remember the Tamagotchi? Yeah, that's that's what it reminded me of. There was another one too. I can't remember what the competitor was called. Oh, okay. That's totally like kind of like what these nano are pets off of, right? or something or nano pets. I don't remember. I'm grasping at straws here, but it was there was a competitor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean that sounds believable. Um, but yeah, the, the whole concept of like these animals and uh, people taking care of them, and like yeah, this starts off with a song like you, your pets are gonna die before you do. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah, right. It's gonna live long. <laughs> I mean, the theater was laughing, and I think that may have been something that wasn't super clear in the trailer that this is approaching things from a comedic avenue. In yeah, in many ways, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. 
for sure yeah and it, i think it helps watching it with like a live audience in a theater setting yeah um because it, in the night yeah you've got gerard here so I, I think he's bringing in a lot of humor that we saw from housebound right right which is great that uh, was part so, of the reason he was selected i think to, to bring in the humor yeah yeah and the scariness uh so this movie begins with a, a commercial about these toy robots or these robot toys um that are being sold by this company called funky is that what they were called or funkai I can't remember exactly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, But they're being pitched as alternatives to pets, so we get this kind of funny commercial about them, and one of the things is their butts light up, and they poop, and you can feed them. They're just like very advanced uh, Tamagotchi pets, I guess. Um, They Oh, we then meet our main character. Uh, She's a young girl named Katie. She's on her way with her parents uh, to go on a ski trip when they get into an accident that kills her parents. So she's then forced to be taken in by her aunt Gemma, who is played by Allison Williams. And we learn that Gemma is uh, a roboticist at, uh, at, at this company that makes these robot toys. Um, what did you think of this opening? Like you mentioned, the tone is kind of established right away, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm on board with it. It's Something about the tone is odd. James Wan and Tone... It's just a, a whole weird thing. And I don't know how much to attribute to Juan because Gerard Johnstone is the director here. But I just recently watched Dead Silence and Malignant still looms large in my mind from 2021. And I feel like even though there is comedy intended, there are still some things in the script that are just so basic and the, the dialogue is so utterly unoriginal that... It's also a little bit of unintentional humor, I feel like, mixed in with the intentional comedy. But mm. I don't know. Do you feel like that at all? I definitely feel that with Juan. Like, I feel like he's got... Uh, sometimes watching his movies feels like a lifetime movie yes. comedy. Right, right. Like, it, yeah, it's just like it doesn't know how bad it is. But I, I didn't. You, you felt that here in the opening scene? Because I, I didn't feel that in this movie. I thought it was because we had a different director and writer. But you, you, you felt that vibe? A little bit with the dialogue between mom and dad. It was just a little, I don't know, a little obvious, but... Sure, um, yeah. And with Gemma, once she learns, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, when she learns that she'll be the, be, yeah. be the adopted mother, essentially. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, you see it in Saw, you see it in Dead Silence. You can probably see it a little bit in The Conjuring, too. It's just, you definitely see it in Malignant, where it's like, okay, even when you're trying to be funny, there's still some <laughs> awkwardness here but it's hard yeah. to know yeah right if that's in there not. yeah yeah i agree uh I, I i thought the the couple like kind of arguing on the way was funny but I, I now that you say that i can think of like some lines like where they're really like spelling it out like h- how she has a toy and calling out that like Gemma probably didn't pay shipping on it um just like I- interesting lines i guess that yeah you don't know how to read them uh or like yeah are they supposed to be funny or not Right, right. Uh, so kind of confusing there. But I, I think you, you do get the sense right at the beginning, though, that there's like kind of a, a cheekiness or like a self-awareness. Or like there's, there's definitely a comedic a- angle in this movie, right? For sure. I mean, it's a smart move to put the commercial up front because it sends the message to the audience that, hey, there, there are going to be some jokes in here. There's some inherent silliness. Yeah. That reminds me a little bit of, of the last movie we talked about, uh, Deadstream. They kind of start off with uh, almost like an opening of like a, a, a clip. Sure, they set the tone right away. They go jokier yeah. at the very beginning, the, right? And then get a little more serious later. Yeah, exactly. 
which uh, yeah has interesting it's that's an interesting interesting setup I guess sure uh, so we learn more about Gemma so she's working with her team on finding a way to help her toy company compete with I think Hasbro uh, by making a lower cost toy is it Hasbro oh uh, I can't remember oh, okay. I, don't, I don't think they use the name Hasbro oh at one point her boss is like yeah we're gonna kick Hasbro in the balls or something oh okay maybe maybe they do use the name yeah, I thought it was uh, that company, but uh, and so, but, but instead of doing that, she's been building this AI robot doll called Megan that can converse and interact with kids. Her boss David, who's played by Ronnie Chang, uh, he's pissed to find this out, and he orders her to stop working on it. Gemma pauses her work on it, but after struggling to connect with her niece that she's now taken in, and uh, they both are obviously. Um, you know, trying to adjust to living together. They're struggling. She sees Katie at one point get excited about this old robot that Gemma has in her garage. And that apparently sets a light bulb off for her and she decides to complete the build on Megan. So she has her boss, David, observe as she launches Megan and uh, has her niece meet this new doll, Megan. And uh, it's just a really touching interaction between the two of them. And David is blown away and greenlights it for future development. What did you think on about this introduction of Megan and uh, the relationship between the aunt and the niece? I actually think it is pretty well done. I mean, they're not shy about some of the themes here and having it be hard and awkward for the aunt to now have this child in her life and not know what's good for her or what kids even want. Um, and it, it starts easing you into the movie's theme, which is how easy it is to rely on technology to take some of the weight off of you in, in parenting. So I appreciated it. I thought it was pretty, um, pretty efficient and, and it was, you knew where it was going, but it was structured appropriately for what the movie was trying to be. I was on board. How about you? Yeah, I, I liked it. It felt really real. Uh, like here's someone who's never had a child. Um, her main focus in life and priority is work. And like she's uh, just lost a sister, but she's still like more focused about this deadline. And even people at work are kind of like being like, you know, you got to be focused on yourself and uh, your niece right now. And, and it's hard for her to kind of disconnect from that. Um, I also think they're setting up maybe the idea uh, that because um, yeah later Megan comes into the picture and she builds a strong relationship uh, I thought they did an interesting job of like setting up the distance between these two main characters and almost making that feel very uh, mechanical or um, a distance uh, just in, in terms of like she could barely like she couldn't even like read her a bedtime story she had to like d download an app to like update it or uh, didn't know like kind of like how to like take care of her like feed her or really interact with her so it kind of just shows like the living in different worlds and don't really know how to like speak to each other in, in certain ways right exactly and you can you know Megan learns super fast and everything and has like all the intelligence in the world you can almost kind of look at it as okay you're on a learning curve with parenting and you're competing with a robot right but and Gemma's you're... still at like oh I don't have books I don't have toys that a child can play with my toys or collectibles that she shouldn't touch. And <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to do this. And it's, it's just interesting because I don't know. Parenting is hard. There are people who 
don't want a parent and aren't don't find it appealing and if they were to be thrown into this situation they wouldn't know what to do right there are also people who think they would be great parents but then when the time comes there's you know certain aspects to it that you just don't really think about so right as a parent currently going through some of the things that are the themes in this movie things spoke to me even when they were pretty ham-fisted sure yeah very very relatable and topical yeah sure things um i also thought uh ronnie uh was a great actor as as the boss you you like that guy i did not get what ronnie was putting i did not pick up what ronnie was putting down i i I didn't really find that performance amusing or effective, but I just just oh, might not be my brand of humor. I I totally uh, he like spoke like my mind. He's like he's talking about competitors and how they're launching lower cost products and how she's got to like be working on something that they can bring to market that's going to be lower cost. Meanwhile, she's burning up all this capital on like this AI robot that no one has greenlighted. So I, I totally felt for that guy, man. I felt like he was the most relatable character in this whole film. And I, I love Ronnie Chang. I, th- I think he's a hilarious actor. Uh, you ever see him on The Daily Show? No, no. I don't really watch The Daily Show much. And I know he's got a couple of Netflix comedy specials out there, too. Oh, yeah. So I should check those out. You love it when they talk about business in <laughs> horror do. movies. It's so fun. Yeah. I know. And this is so great. This is like going up the corporate ladder like him and then the board members and uh, shareholders and doing the whole release. This this is like awesome. There's just uh, an unpredictably professional side of you. <laughs> yeah. When a horror movie hits it, I'm, I'm like all about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Profit margin, <laughs> contribution margin. Let's hear more about exactly. that. Exactly. Deadlines. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, what would you think about Megan here? Because this is where we're introduced to her in that uh, in that room where they're observing the, the interactions. Yeah, I kind of alluded to this to this before, but I think it was really easy in this movie to take for granted how good Megan looked and sounded, and. I actually liked the way they kind of developed her as a character. Like, you, she is a character in a sense, and you understand her just as much as you might understand Katie or Gemma. So I thought they did a good job with Megan. I thought her dialogue was some of the best in the movie. I thought it was a great physical performance and a vocal performance, and it it looked good. Yeah, it looks really good. And it, it isn't, like, very scary here in the introduction, too. Like, it's pretty heartwarming. And this I, I thought that scene was really funny where, like, she spills the water and, like, you kind of, like, as audience, you're thinking, oh, the robot's, like, malfunctioning or something. And then it turns into, like, this amazing drawing. So I, it's, it's kind of, like, funny at the same time and, and endearing. Yeah, so, right. And, like, there's, I don't know if it happens in this scene or later, but Megan breaks out into song every <laughs> once in a while. And yeah. I mean, and those are truly outright comedic moments and the audience yeah. kind of all laughs and it's it's really an interesting choice and, and kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it works. Right? Mm-hmm. It does work. <laughs> it's it's good. Uh, all right, so Katie starts to build this relationship now with Megan, which, you know, it, it, from everything we're seeing so far, it looks okay because... Uh, you know, she's coming from losing her parents. She's pretty, she's been very quiet and like hard to connect with her aunt. But now this new robot, Megan, or this doll, is uh, really being a constant companion to her and helping her and uh, helping her adjust to this new life and really going above and beyond. So things are working out well for her. And uh, Gemma 
now with the green light from the boss is getting Megan ready for a presentation for the board. Um, while all this is happening though, we get hints that Megan is starting to become a little more self-aware and she's starting to realize that, um, you know, her main objective is to protect Katie. So one night after Katie gets bit by a neighbor's dog, Megan sneaks out at night and kidnaps the dog and kills it off screen. We don't see that. But uh, a few days later, she then attacks the dog's owner who had been pretty suspicious of Gemma uh, for t- kidnapping the dog. Um, and then also during a outdoor summer school camp thing, Megan rips the ears off of this boy who's bullying Katie and pushes him in front of a car, killing him as well. Uh, what do you think of some of these early kills? I thought that the kill specifically of the kid in the summer camp was, I mean, people will, you know, think that roll their eyes at this movie being PG-13, but I think that pushes the boundaries of PG-13 violence. She rips part of his ear off, pushes him into a street, and you see the blood smeared across the pavement with just his shoe there. Like, yeah, this is a child. I, I think that's pretty hardcore for a PG-13 movie. I think it's more violent than uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, which was rated <laughs> oh, R. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. This was really grim and, and dark. And uh, yeah, the ear, the way she pulled it and like how, how that looked and like how, how long that went on for. That, yeah. That's an image that sticks with you. Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty intense for PG-13. It Not, is. I mean, like the dog and the and the woman. The woman's kill was fairly tame. Um, how how was that? Was she like waterboarding her or something? I yeah, with like chemicals. Oh. Okay. Um, so I do. I can't even remember how she finally like killed her. But yeah, um, it was more just the intimidation and the suspense in that scene that was important to me than how her hiding out in the shed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and pretending and to be the vocals of the dog, like that's how she got the owner out. Oh, she, yeah. she mimics the vocals of people sometimes. Right, to, right. As bait, essentially. Yeah, and it works. Uh, I also loved in the woods, like the way she runs on like all fours. I didn't see that coming. I thought that was a really cool twist. Right, she runs like a dog, and that's Amy Donald just doing that <laughs> with that's her insane. body. It's oh it my is god, nuts. yeah. Yeah, that that works, man. Uh, that was a satisfying kill, though, because who liked that kid? That kid was a, a real asshole. Oh, yeah, we all wanted to see that kid go. And that was a commentary on parenting, too. <laughs> oh, you yeah. see that kid's mom being like, oh, he's a, trying to pass off the fact that her kid just said, fuck you to her. It's like, oh, he's emotional. I can't even remember <laughs> how they yeah. handled that. But You never know what they're going to say. <laughs> yeah, you never know what they're going to say. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing going back, I, I forgot to ask you. Um with the development of Megan, did you find it a little unbelievable that like Gemma's like sitting around having this conversation with Katie and something Katie says about like, oh, if I had a toy like this, I'd never need another toy again. And suddenly she has what it takes to like build out Megan. Like, did that feel like a little ridiculous to you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a forced plot point or forced catalyst to push things forward. But Whatever, you know, we we knew that Gemma was eventually going to keep working on Megan. So if that was the push he needed, whatever. It's a predictable, (laughs) unsurprising movie in terms of its plot beats. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's just like the version we saw of Megan first, like, fell apart, like, pretty quickly. And suddenly we've, like, now have this, like, fully operating, really smart, now self-aware and, like, able to kill people, Megan. 
So uh, just prototype jump is, is wild. Yeah, I mean, that's a giant jump that she can just, like, crank out in a week or two of hard focus, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most intelligent robot ever created by yeah, mankind. But. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but I guess, yeah, you, you got to have some of that here. Sure. Uh, so Gemma now is starting to get a little nervous because all these people have died, which is actually, actually just two people have died and a dog has died. But they're happening around her, and she's starting to get a little suspicious of Megan. So she tries to go into Megan's hard drive to see the live video capture, but finds that the files have all been corrupted. And Megan, meanwhile, is kind of being a little bit weird to her and like saying things to her, uh, which is leading her to suspect her more. So much to Katie's anger, Gemma takes Megan back to the lab for evaluation and thinks about uh, shutting her down, even though like they're set to release her to the public uh, pretty uh, immediately. So while she's in the lab, though, Megan blows the lab up and then chases down Gemma's boss in the hallway with this large knife. Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And then stabs him with it and then kills his assistant in the elevator. Uh, How do you like... And, and this is also where we get like the dance scene that is now viral on tiktok but what did you think of this sequence i thought it was pretty cool and fairly scary and uh you see kind of the aftermath of this scene as well again it's a scene where sure it could have been more violent but they still kind of did as much as they could with the pg-13 rating as far as the violence goes yeah uh, was it like a paper cutter or something that she pulled the knife off oh. of like, that's what it was, yeah. Those big giant things where you like pull the lever down and it cuts the paper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, good, good catch. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. An office office supply. Yeah, I mean, I just I, the dance has a certain odd charm to it, and it's a bit of an uncanny valley thing to see a robot dancing like a human would. But it's, <laughs> do humans dance like that? I, right, <laughs> right. That but that's yet. the thing. It's Amy Donald. Yeah. It's so weird that it's yeah. actually a person doing it because with the VA, VFX on the face and other aspects of the body, it's got this weird blend of like, is that CGI? Is it not? And it just looks cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. I agree. Um, part of me thought it was ripping off uh, the other dance that everyone's talking about like in the last few weeks. The Adams Family, uh, or sorry, Wednesday, that TV show. I just saw that dance last night. Kelly and I just started watching that show. Oh. Um, yeah, I, mean, it's, I think it's sheer coincidence. Yeah, it must have been because this was shot like a long time ago, right? Right, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to believe they, they couldn't have been aware of each other. Sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but I, I guess a, a cool dance will uh, take off like that. So that, it, it is a really cool touch. And I think to your earlier point, too, it, it does add to like the personality or character of Megan like she isn't just like some straight AI bot she's like got a, got got something to her I could see that Wednesday dance going viral because I was actually trying to do some of it while I was brushing my teeth the other <laughs> no night way. which part were you trying the, the arms uh, I re- yeah I appreciated where her arms just like zipped up into the air really quickly. oh yeah <laughs> it's a great dance I hurt like my back a little bit but I'm alright <laughs> alright man be careful over there um, so yeah, the I can't move did. like a twenty-two-year-old woman. Apparently, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, those days are gone. <laughs> um, so the boss is dead. The assistant is dead. They try to build a story here with the assistant that he was like stealing files for the competitor, but I, I don't feel like that went anywhere. Did, did you feel like that was going anywhere? No, 
Yeah, that seemed pretty unnecessary. He seemed like pretty much an unnecessary character in yeah. general. Right. But fine, whatever. <laughs> it didn't, okay. wasn't necessarily a detriment to the movie, but it didn't go anywhere. I think he was there for like comedic effects. Same with like the boss probably. Sure, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so now Megan shows up at Gemma's house at night and tells her that I think her plan is that she wants to take care of Megan and let Gemma be able to focus on her work. Is that right? Um, I can't really remember. I feel like she tries to negotiate with her a little bit. Yeah. She's very, very wily. Yeah, uh, she is. Uh, Gemma doesn't buy it and, uh, tries to shut Megan down, which turns into this big fight. At one point, Gemma attacks Megan with a chainsaw in the garage, but Megan gets the upper hand and I think she's getting ready to kill Gemma. But fortunately at this point, Katie shows up and... Megan tries to convince Katie that they don't need Gemma and they're better off without her and that Megan can do everything that uh, Katie needs. Katie uh, surprises Megan by using the old robot in the garage to rip Megan apart um, from head to toe, I guess into two pieces. And Gemma finishes Megan off. I think Gemma is the one who pulls out like her face uh, and stabs the control units and things, right? I think Gemma maybe like removes her face and then it's finally Katie that actually stabs it with the screwdriver. Oh, okay, okay, right. Right, right in the controls, right okay. in the kisser. Got it. And yeah, and that, that's cool because like that, that's kind of a, one of the early bonding scenes between the two of them was around like how the inside of a robot works. So it's kind sure. of a, a neat way to come back on that. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, so then the movie ends with the police showing up and Gemma and Katie leaving the house, but we see the camera zooms in and we see that the uh, home assistant in Gemma's house, like the Google Home or whatever, uh, it starts moving on its own and it kind of means that Megan or like the personality of Megan or whatever, uh, or her coding is, is still alive and in the home software. Uh, so yeah, what, what did you think uh, of this movie? I thought, to go back to my prediction of how hardened horror fans would roll their eyes at this movie but actually end up liking it I think it wasn't quite correct I mean this didn't blow it out of the park and it wasn't actually scary like Smile was but at the same time I think this is a movie people have a hard time saying they didn't enjoy at all a lot of times we see these Rotten Tomatoes scores of like 93% for movies that are just very Basic and crowd-pleasing. I saw an article that pointed out it's only two points away from The Godfather or something. There are two different types of Rotten Tomatoes high scores. There is the, this movie is an absolute masterpiece work of art. And there is the, everybody had a hard time saying they didn't like this movie. So, (laughs) as this is a binary score, it has a high percentage. And that's very much what Megan is. It's hard to outright dislike. Um... I'm sure there are people that did if you look at the user score, which is, what, 79 or something. Um, But I thought it was a fairly pleasing film. I I think I've already talked about Megan looking good, but I think its biggest strength is the plot. Bear with me. It's very basic, very expected. Nothing's really a surprise, but it hits all the beats. It should, and where it excels is the pacing. To me, I was never bored nor did I feel like the movie really dragged in any specific sections. It's an hour and 42 minutes. It felt like a perfect length. The events 
were all perfectly spaced out. I, I never felt this drag. It just moved as it should. It was predictable, but it moved as expected and as you would want a movie like this to move. But uh, there are certainly some other weaknesses. Character depth was lacking. Um, Katie and Megan seemed the most complex. I, I think that um, Allison Williams has the capability to be a really good performer. And it's hard to gauge her performance in this because it is just a weird mix of camp and legit bad dialogue to me. But I don't know. Let's hear some more of your thoughts and we'll get into it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I, I agree. She's uh, I've, I've liked her in like every role I've seen her in so far. Um, and I, I thought she gave a pretty good performance here. But yeah, obviously the character was a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit less nuanced than maybe she's played in other roles. But I agree, man, that the pacing is so good. And I, I think you go into this movie knowing what it's going to be about. And it's a kind of predictable storyline. Uh, but yeah, the, the pacing and the humor that comes in along the way makes it pop a little bit more. Some of the violence is fun. And as you mentioned earlier, like I, I don't feel like the PG-13 is felt too hard. Like They do show like an interesting amount of violence uh or or like torture which like kind of pleases some of the people who need to see that gore out there um so yeah i, I agree it was a really fun like popcorn watch uh great to see uh, a little bit unoriginal but the humor right there, i think saves it the performance by um donald uh is it uh amy donald amy donald amy donald yeah uh incredible like yeah the great great looking robot and, and good performance there um, when you talk about like the strength being the plot, or the are you talking about like the theme of like this uh, aunt and niece trying to uh, find a way to cope together after a loss, and like how technology comes to play in there? I think when I say the plot is the strength, I, I mostly hmm maybe the plot isn't even the strength; it's the pacing. Like the events that happen are kind of expected, and what needs to happen to achieve what this movie is going for, but they just, they happen in such a pacing and timing that you're never bored. Like there's always something happening. We're always moving towards the next thing. It's the events are big enough that they feel like they matter. It's not a surprising or unpredictable plot, but it's executed well is essentially my point. Uh, well then, yeah. What do you feel about that theme, though? Like, cause I, I feel like that was one of the differentiators between this and like another movie about like a AI coming to life and taking over the world. That whole thing around uh, people relying on it to build relationships or to like care for children or whatever, and then realizing. Cause I, I think this whole movie is more about Gemma and her character realizing that she needs to be there and like how to like kind of uh, respond to this child who's like lost her parents and building that connection. Yeah. So, like, did you feel like that brought in, like, a new and innovative kind of storyline? I do. I feel like I haven't... We've seen AI gone wrong movies, but as I mentioned earlier that this movie did a good job differentiating itself, I think the theme is where it does that. It made the theme about parenting, which was good. It's a smart business decision the way they line this all up. It's a PG-13 movie. Kids will probably go see it with their parents, and it's going to appeal to both of those generations And this movie hits me right in the sweet spot because I went to see it on like day eight of COVID where I was allowed to go back into society with a mask on, but we're not allowed to do too much. And my kid is behind me and he's so he still can't really leave the house and the other kid doesn't have it. 
So we're in this weird space where we're trying to work, but we can't have childcare come over. And we have just been, the TV has been on way more than it normally is. So we've been totally relying on technology to help with our parenting these this past week or so where we've had three-fourths of the family has COVID. So it hit me at, at the perfect time. And I think it's, you know, they they don't explore it to any depth where it's just like mind-blowing, but it's an interesting thing to think about. How much do we let kids interact with technology? Are their interactions helping or hurting? And where is the line that you draw? Like, Megan legitimately helps Katie get through her trauma, but then it crosses over into a place where it's not good anymore. So how do you how do you find that line? My wife got a Christmas gift for my kids that's kind of like a learning app. That was the first time my five-year-old has played anything like a video game. So is he learning math or is he just noodling with a screen and now we've added even more screen time to his life? It's also a point in parenting where it's unique compared to our parents. Our parents could buy a parenting book or two if they wanted. They could read magazines. They could hear from other friends. But as a parent these days, it's pretty easy to become bombarded with parenting messaging and judgment and this is the right way to do things. So I don't really know what my point is. I guess maybe and that this is a unique time to release a movie about technology and how that interacts with parenting. For sure, man. That's like really relevant. And uh, yeah, it's, it's the first time I'm kind of seeing that captured so well in a horror film. So uh, props to them for, and I, you know, I, I feel like they take a stance here by kind of showing the extreme worst case scenario where like you're a hundred percent relying on this technology and she's like completely dialed out and not able to like get her child's or the kid's attention anymore or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, do, do you feel like the movie is making like a statement like technology is bad, get, keep it out uh, and focus on these human relationships or is it putting it up more for conversation? I think it's putting it up more for conversation just due to the fact that Megan was able to access certain things in Katie that Gemma was not capable of doing. Like breaking out in song. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I think maybe the movie is either starting a discussion or saying, hey, technology isn't necessarily bad, but too much certainly can be bad. And it also comes at an interesting time, not just for me personally having COVID right now as we record this podcast, but interesting in our society, in these post-COVID times, like social isolation exists more now than ever, not just because of COVID, but because of technology, because of working from home, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's also maybe a theme here that's a little bit more buried is kind of tying back to the phrase, I don't know if you've heard it when it comes to parenting, like it takes a village. And I think Katie was helped by Megan's presence. And you could look at Megan not just as AI in this or as a piece of technology, but you could look at her as a friend too. Like, I think we're in a time now where people are more socially isolated than ever and parents, especially parents where one of them is a stay-at-home feel like they're, you know, they're, they should be able to do everything for their kid. And some of the messaging around parenting nowadays kind of makes you feel that way too. 
but really your kid can thrive due to the presence of like grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, friends or a friend's parents or just the people who work at your local coffee shop or whatever. Like it really helps your kid to have other people besides you. And I think we're in a place in parenting where it's like it's all on you and you got to figure everything out. But a kid's life can really be enriched by other people who are not a parent. So I think maybe you could read this movie as making that as a point too. Like really what Katie needed was a friend. Yeah, because yeah, they did make a point that she was homeschooled up until then. Right. Uh, so yeah, probably didn't have a lot of friends. And yeah, the, this was kind of like the first example of that. And it, yeah, it helped her tremendously. So uh, that that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, in that way, it actually shows this technology can be used for a force of good if it's truly AI. Right, right. And then it's... I feel like we're at a point in time where people are trying really hard to live deliberately. And so you might have the more woke or hippie people being like, I don't really like the messaging of the public education system and where they're going. So I'd like to be in charge of my kid's education. And yeah, you, you miss out on all those social networks. So I think there could be commentary that the kids' lives are enriched by broadening their, their life rather than limiting it. Yeah. I mean, you, you have the contrast of Gemma feeling bad that like she's turning the TV on and not being like one-on-one with her kid. And I think there's a fine line there. Like, yeah, you need to engage with your kid, but you also need to build a life where you are not the only person for your kid. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone's like, sanity. Right. And I, I thought that was really cool about the intent of like Megan to be more of like an assistant for parents to help like raise kids. Um, but when you, when you say that, are you talking about like it has to be a person or it could be a robot as well? I Yeah, I mean, I think it does have to be a person. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know, man. If, if there were robots like Megan out there, like that, that's not a bad source to have uh, for like assistance. I mean, it's very, they really made it seem appealing when they had a section that was specifically focused on Megan just reminding Katie to like flush the toilet and <laughs> yeah. wash her hands. Exactly. Those, I mean, that was very relatable for me. Yeah, I thought it was a really good pitch. Was, yeah, they're talking about like how much of parenting is like repeating the same things over and over to your kid, and why do that when you can have a, a robot do that for you? Right, and I mean, that takes a surprising amount of patience. Sorry to make this whole thing about parenting everybody, but <laughs> I mean, that was, it's a theme That's, of the movie, so I'm going to go ahead. Yeah. But man, the right. bedtime routines, dude, you wouldn't even believe how many times I'm just like, okay, turn the sink on. <laughs> All right, but now it's time to turn the sink on. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's cool. Turn the sink on. Like, right. It's It becomes so mind-numbingly. It like wears away at your patience so much. Yeah, yeah so, I believe it. Yeah, I mean, technology could be helpful in those monotonous parenting situations. Sure, sure. Yeah, so yeah, I, I appreciated that aspect of the movie. I, I think they took that in an interesting angle. Um, what did, uh, but I, actually on that one, one last thing. Uh, so the, the whole, I think, character arc for Gemma is that as first when she takes Katie in, she doesn't know how to connect with her. She's like kind of putting her to the side and focusing on work. But by the end, I think what builds their relationship is she realizes that like she needs to be more present or spending more time with uh, Katie and giving her the attention she needs. I, I personally didn't feel like she went through that whole journey and like earned that um, that uh, redemption at the end. Did, did, did you feel like she did? That's a good point. I don't think she really had a complete character arc where she realized... I am, I'm part of the problem or like I shouldn't, I mean, she did in a sense because 
She was so focused on her career and so focused on making Megan work as a product that I think maybe her arc could be interpreted as, I know I have enough sense to say, even though this is super good for my career and this product could be a success, this is not right. Like this, but it's so egregious. Like, of course, she's going to stop people from being murdered that it does kind of abbreviate or truncate her character arc just as it's blooming to come around full circle and be like, I need to pay more attention to Katie. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we ever really get that. And do we get a moment where at the close of the movie she's reading a book or the house is stocked <laughs> with toys that Katie's allowed to play with? Or No, we don't, yeah. Yeah, exactly. good point. Yeah, I feel like she only realizes that when uh, she realizes Megan it might be killing people, then she's like, oh, maybe I should pay more attention to my kid than this product that I've built that might be a lawsuit. Even uh, just like a, a scene in a montage is part of the like denouement where they're working yeah. on robotics together or something like right. It could be it could just close that loop. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, what about the kill count? I felt like the kill count was kind of low for a horror film, which you know isn't this kind of like a slasher in a way? Hmm, in a way, I mean. <laughs> A slasher, a little bit. I wouldn't call it a slasher. I feel like it's two subgenres or killer dolls and tech horror. But yeah, I suppose the structure in a way is like a slasher. The kill count is low. My biggest complaint is that aside from that kid and the ear ripping off and and the uh, pu- pushing him into the street, the kills are not bad necessarily. But they're not super exciting. I, I think the movie lacks enough truly exciting moments to push me into like a higher rating than the one I'm going to give it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I, I mean, you called out the suspense with the neighbor kill, and I, I feel like the kill with the boss was cool because you had the dance with it. The kid kill, uh, I mean, that, that, was, that was kind of a fun one, right? Cause that was like the funnest dead. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where are you seeing the excitement was missing? Was it like the assistants and the dog? You want to see that dog killed? I think the, yeah, I, I want to see more animals die. Yeah, I know. I think the, yeah, I, it's not so much a specific complaint. It's just a lack of true excelling at anything. Yeah. That keeps sure. me from giving it a super high rating. Yeah, not enough of it popped. Right. That makes sense. And then it sounds like you had an issue with uh, Alison Williams acting. Maybe not so much as with her acting as with her character. I, but you're right. I mean, you said it's not as nuanced of a role as we've seen her in in the past. And in Get Out and The Perfection, it's hard to imagine more nuanced roles than those. So she really doesn't have a chance to excel and put on a performance for the record books. Um I, I don't know. At the same time, part of me felt like I don't know if she like fully really bought into to the movie or to her own character. But the other part of me is like maybe it actually is exactly what was desired from James Wan as the writer and producer and from Gerard Johnstone in terms of threading the needle of this like campy yet serious tone. What did you think about that performance? Uh, I thought it was believable as like a young person working in tech who's just like consumed with uh, her job and like doesn't have time really to, uh, yeah, think it, you know, dive into like family stuff or, or kids like appealing to a kid. But uh, yeah, it, it was kind of shallow. Uh, 
but I, I think that was just I, I thought it was more the character than her performance yeah yeah I think I think you're right I'm hesitant to blame a performer who we've really seen excel in the past so yeah yeah I feel like she's always kind of stood out uh, yeah. before and it, it, was she an executive producer on this film I, she, I, I believe she was listed as a perhaps executive a producer in some capacity okay okay yeah um and uh how'd you how'd you think the daughter did i thought she actually was pretty good and i thought she was a fairly fleshed out character as well i thought that was a good performance so the side characters were maybe some of the most just it's not that the acting was particularly bad but the characters weren't written super well and the performances weren't really you know jumping out of the screen at me so a lot of the there's certain things in the movie that were just meh sure yeah i hear you uh but yeah i i, I think like megan kind of steals the show when it comes to, like performances in this movie agree she's pretty good all right well then uh you want to jump to the rating let's do it all right well i think in one line ronnie says let's go kick hasbro in the balls when he gets really excited about this toy launching so uh how many ball how many kicks to hasbro's balls would you give this zero zero out of five Dude, I wouldn't. I never doubted the Hasbro mention had I known that you were in, gonna incorporate it into our <laughs> rating scale later. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm so I'll, sorry. I'll check. <laughs> I give this 3.5 kicks to the Hasbro's balls. It's a fun movie. It's hard to give it a four because it's just it's not amazing, but it's fun and it did what it intended to do. And it's I'm glad I watched it. I had fun. How about you? That's great, man. Yeah, you know, I, I think I walked out of this uh, at, at a four, but then in the last few days thinking about it, it came down to three and a half because it, it is a lot of fun. Uh, but in terms of originality, I mean, it's a story we've seen before. Uh, loved, like, the humor along the way. Um, and I think you're right, like, the pacing is, is so good and the editing is, is done really well. But uh, outside of that, yeah, it's it, it can be um, not, not too much if it stands out. Yeah. the The only fat in the movie to me might be that one side character who tries to steal the plans for Megan and it's just kind yeah. of a wiener the whole movie but yeah. you know maybe that's just part of why it's satisfying to see him die so I can't maybe complain too much and it's not like they spend a whole lot of time on it it's a pretty efficient movie you know that that is interesting that everyone who they kill are like people that we want to see die yeah like, you know, right uh, is that I guess is that pretty common in these types of movies well if you're gonna piggyback off your earlier point that it's kind of structured like a slasher then yeah yeah okay. the evil prom queens of jason takes manhattan yeah right. i think it's not necessarily uncommon but it is very specifically they demonize everybody who's who dies yeah yeah and that kind of makes the killing a little bit more fun right right yeah Okay. Gives it definitely gives it some PG thirteen energy too. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Keeps keeps the drama low. All right. Well, any, anything else to add? That's it. All right. Well, that's going to be our discussion on Megan. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com. Or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where we're chatting up with some other horror fans. So you can find that link on our website. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Pop Art. So check her out on Etsy.com. 
until next time, if you're looking to steal a doll from a child in your neighborhood, uh, consider wearing some earmuffs in advance so that you can protect it from being ripped off in case that doll comes alive. You never know how far we've come with technology in the past week-long montage. I know. I know. All these uh, videos out there now, people just reinventing things left and right. Right. Years getting pulled off.